I was born for his service. He filled me with purpose. Take your time while you worship him. I'm unplugged from the matrix. Believe without seeing, I'm plugged into the matrix. The daily perspective. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Perspective Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Daily. And uh, with me again today, I've got Dr. Terence Johnson. And uh, today, we are going to be digging into an interesting topic. Uh, a very relevant topic. Something that's been going on for a while. Uh, we're going to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's a movement that's very close to their hearts. It's a very, uh, it's a movement that you either see sit on in one of two camps. You either agree or you disagree with the movement. Um, and I want, I, I want to look at it from a couple of lenses. Uh, I want to look at it from the perspective of a black man, as I am. And, uh, but also I want to look at it from a Christian perspective, taking race, creed, color, whatever you want to call it, out of the picture and let's just break it down and see, you know, where would, if, if, if Jesus were here today, where would he stand in relation to this movement? Um, because I think that's a in- very interesting perspective for us to look at, especially where we have Christian, uh, or a very diverse Christian community and there are, we are split, we are fragmented when it comes to this view. So um, before we dig into it, I'm going to hand over to my co-host and uh, let him say a few words, introduce himself. All right. Uh, so like, like uh, they said, I'm Dr. Terrence Johnson. Um, in my background for a number of years, but now I'm on personal development. Um, and the topic of Black Lives Matter is important, and I think it's a good conversation for all of us to have in different parts of the world, and so it looks a little different in each on our location. So I think that it's good, uh, good segue into the topic of what it looks like in America versus uh, in the UK, and how things are similar that may be different also just because of it. And uh, how being a black man in America and in the UK is different. Mm. I know we'll talk about, and uh, <laughs> I think it gives it an interesting perspective. The budget is different, but still a lot the same, no matter location, uh, no matter how you think you identify culturally or racially. Uh, something is universal. Uh, and in this sense, it's bad that it is universal. <laughs> At the core of what Black Lives Matter uh, for is for uh, equity. Uh, and not just for equity, that we should already have. Uh, and so it's just really I'll put it in there. <laughs> 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 I'll put it in there. 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 I'll put it in there.
<laughs> yeah, you're, you're jumping right in. We're getting right into the deep end. But um, let's let's take a step back and um, let's look at the history of the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, mm-hmm. um, I'm I recall maybe three years ago. I believe was when I first kind of heard about the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, but as with most of these things, it was off the back of a uh, another racist attack in the US where a black man had, or uh, was it? Yeah, a black man had been gunned down. Um, I can't remember whether it was the Eric Gardner one or whether I can't remember which movement kicked this off. I believe, according to their website, it was the Trayvon Martin murder um, after George Zimmerman was acquitted of Trayvon Martin's murder. That's when this movement kicked off. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't know whether that was three years ago or maybe that was a few years further back. Um, what's your What's your recollection recollection of the uh, of it? Uh, like I said, I, I think that's, that's correct. I don't know why, like, before you even said that, I was thinking that was more connected to what happened in Baltimore some years ago. And maybe that's the thing that really impacted me, even though Trayvon, Trayvon Martin was a big, uh, a big event as well. Uh, and I can't remember who it was in Baltimore. Uh, and they did a lot of rioting and stuff there. And that really impacted me because, uh, it made me want to do something. Uh, and so after that happened, I remember just seeing it on TV. I, I started to get together uh, some guys in in Jackson and try to get like a mastermind group together to be like, what could we do collectively? Like, could we do like a mentoring program in the area to kind of do something to have some kind of action and traction to it? And uh, we, we kind of did, but it's didn't really get off the ground, but it's certain things like that with Trayvon, Trayvon with like George Floyd and all these ground the table, it makes you want to do something. Um, right. You don't necessarily know what to do, um, but I think it has to be authentic into what it is. Um, and I, I, I kind of took on it now. I'll let you go forward because I want because I got some other stuff on the next chance we get down the line. But uh, but but everybody won't get on social media and do hashtags. Everybody yeah. wants a black image. Uh, everybody won't protest. Um, but it's something specific that fits your personality, your you know your strength, or just your personality that. Uh, it's authentic to you. So for me, mm. post not authentic to me because I don't really post a lot. So that's not me really being authentic. This is me putting something up because everybody else is. But yeah. I might, that's more behind the scenes. It's still impactful, but it's not just to be a part of the number. Just to say I did my part because just posting something is still a, a, a very small part. So I, get, I hear what you're saying because I, I 
something it when you were talking it reminded me of something that um as you say you've got to do what is authentic to you because mm -hmm. let's keep it real this isn't the first you know, right. Trayvon was not the first. George Floyd was not the first and right. will not be the last. Uh, right. uh, what was his name? Was it Philando Castro? Was Castillo. It, uh, Philando Castillo. Uh -huh. Castillo, that's it. Yeah. Um, you know, we got that. You've got, uh, okay, Rodney King did not die, but you had the yeah. Rodney King King case as far back as the mid-90s. Mm -hmm. And in the UK... We had Stephen Lawrence, um, who was a young young black guy murdered by five white guys, um, two of them currently serving life, which took almost 10 years to, to, to get. And the other three, I believe it's three, are walking, still walking free because their parents are well-connected. Whatever the situation was, they they're walking free. Mm -hmm. So we've got our history in the UK of racist murders. Um, as you say, there were, the parallels are there, the similarities are there. And the way that we've always, you know, growing up, we've always had our wrong ways of protesting, um, probably not as vocal as the US. So I think the Black Lives Matter movement is the first thing that has been so globally connected mm -hmm. and that has got everyone behind it acting in one accord. In the past, I'd say in the UK, we've probably been a little bit passive. I mean, there's uproar. Black people get mad. We, we talk about it, we voice our opinion, but that collective movement was something that never really, really happened. Maybe because it's not really what was done in the UK. Um, well, I'm speaking from my experience, so someone else in the UK might disagree with me, but from my perspective, maybe it was not something that we really did a lot of, but I, I remember one significant case. There's a, a guy shot by the police, uh, Mark Duggan. And after that, there was, um, there was protest. There was, um, there was rioting. and people went mad. Um, it was crazy. That was the first time that I saw that level of unrest because we were sick and tired of the injustice. Now, I know in the US there is, because of the civil rights movement, because of all of that, there was the, the culture to protest and to, to stand up and voice, you know, publicly voice your dissatisfaction was more common. But it's, I started to see the tides change in the UK after that case and then um, when we started to connect with the US and started to move um, in harmony with the US when injustice happened over there and injustice happened over here I started to see a big shift um, so from that perspective mm -hmm. 
for me, I think just starting there, that that was the history of it. I think that idea of bringing together, creating a global network of people that felt the same, that were disenfranchised and wanted to see change happen. I think it was, it, it definitely, definitely, it was a catalyst for, for what we're seeing today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I got it. Okay. I'm going to answer. And then I have a question <laughs> for you too. <laughs> okay. For what you just said. But um, for one, and, and I think it's just in America, we're just, so, especially in the location that I'm from. So I'm, I'm from the South. But, you know, I was born in Louisiana and then I grew up in Mississippi. So yeah. racism and all of that is very ingrained in that area. So um, our experience of things are a lot different. And we have a, so if you have like overt racism and covert, our, yeah. our racism in the South is very overt. Uh, so if it's, if it's racism and somebody racist, you pretty much know. It's, it's pretty mm. much anything. Uh, but as you go, like further north, or if you go east to west in the U.S., you might have more uh, covert racism. So it's not outright out of front, but it's undertone and undercurrent of it around. Um, but like you were saying, as far as in the U.K., I think for us, because we are in the U.S., a lot of world issues we're not really exposed to unless it's like enemies of ours. Um, and then it's like, you know, a lot of, you know, any, any people we at war with and stuff, that's kind of the world information that we know of. But yeah. for like injustices and things of that nature, we don't really get a lot of that. Um, I mean, uh, uh, yeah. So like the name, the name you name, I was like, I had never heard of it. I had never heard of it. <laughs> But it's because, um, and that was going to be a question, so I'm glad you answered it uh, and you got it name because that's what I want. I was like, you know, I didn't know how it, you know, how the events have happened in the UK where, you know, with police brutality. But um, it's. Um, so I've, I've got, I've got, you finish with you, I'm going to let you finish, but just remind okay. me to tell you our experience of police brutality. So we, I okay. will give you a flavor of that. Okay. okay. All right. So one thing in the one part I want to make from what you were saying um, about how the UK is kind of getting more connected, you know, in the, in the past couple of years, they've been more connected to what's been going on in the US for like injustice stuff in Canada. Coming global now, just like Black Lives Matter. Well, the the other thing we talk about this too, the injustices, and we just talking specifically for Black people around the world. The same things happen across different continents <laughs> and countries. So it's not just a North yeah. or a U.S. thing. It's an African problem. It's an Australian problem. It's a global problem. With yeah. Uh, and if you want to include brown, black and brown across the world. Uh, and it's been very systematic <laughs> in each 
think now with Black Lives Matter, we've caught on because people have had these same experiences in all these different parts of the world. Yeah. This happened in, in the U.S., but this has happened here. And that's happened there, and that's happened there. And we wanted to stop in our areas, too, just like it, it was wrong for the happen in America. And so I think that's what people have to expose their minds to. This is not just a, an, an American problem. This is a global problem, and it's happening. And it's been happening for generations. And now yeah. it's a generation of young people now that are um, they're tired of lip service. Um, they do not care to be pacified <laughs> by leaders. <laughs> they just don't. Uh, and so they don't. They, they will act when they feel like they need to stand up and, and voice their and let their voice be heard. And I think that's a that's a beautiful thing uh, because yeah. a lot of times the youth get so diminished and you know they're all about the technology and this and entitled and whatever. But they have been leading the charge this time, um, and it's been you know I think it was I think in our area it was a group of like I think it was just a group of like three or four teenagers, like thirteen year old girls. They they um coordinated one of the protests. So it's it's younger and younger but they <laughs> So okay, I'll stop there and I'll let you <laughs> <laughs> So okay, so I'm I'm gonna cover off a few points that uh came to mind as you were speaking. Um one of the things that I noticed about how we reacted to um, to these things in the UK was the so I, my background before my professional career and all of that I I was a minister in music I was a Christian hip hop artist so when I recorded music I recorded music. So if I recorded a track about violence, it was kind of aimed at what the media calls quote unquote black on black violence. And what I realized was that as I, was, as I got older, was that anytime we voiced our, um, our frustrations, our anger, our, you know, dissatisfaction with the inequality in society and the, the, the systemic racism, it was, you know, because they always tend to center around police brutality or, or murder, it would be like, well, you guys are out here killing yourselves. And there were all these different things, Operation Trident and all of these different things that, um, uh, police forces in the UK put out there to tackle quote-unquote black-on-black violence. But when another white guy mur murders a white guy, it was just called a murder. But, you know, whenever it was black-on-black, black, whenever the two, the, the, the victim and the assailant were um, black, it became black-on-black black violence. But this label wasn't put when two white people did something. 
So it create the media created this perception that there was this bigger problem, this bigger undercurrent of black on black crime that was more of a an issue uh, was a bigger issue than the injustice in society. Another another mechanism of that systemic racism. At, but it wasn't just it wasn't just that the fact that they created this. It was then that they used it to create a doctrine for young black males, females to, you know, to, to educate us that we were the problem mm-hmm. or to indoctrinate us into believing that we were the problem that, and until we fixed ourselves, then the rest of the, the other problems would then go away or, or magically go away. That was kind of how it was led. Um, the other thing that I was going to mention was uh, around our experience in the UK of police brutality. Because, mm-hmm. again, in the US, it's well documented. Yeah. What we have here, again, and this is, this is to me, um, this is one thing my wife has always said to me that... Um, America is such a an open the racism in America is quite open but it's still a place where as a black person you can thrive and you can you know mm-hmm. you can you can make something of yourself in the UK they did away that the, the overt racism is actually a small fraction now they focus on systemic covert racism it's all institutional it's in the it's it's in the legal system it's in the um it's in the banking system it's you know i can talk of my experiences in the banking world where there are fraud rules put in place that target people of a certain demographic that is crazy. You know, it's the, the fraud rule is based on the number of vows an individual has in their surname, which tends to be people of Asian and black descent. So there are so many things that they that in the UK in UK society that's been that been put out there that just woven into the fabric of UK society. So when it comes to police brutality, things happen. People die in police custody and there is nothing about it. It's, there's no mention of it in the paper. There's no mention of it on the, on the news. There is no mention of it anywhere. It's just, hey, this happened. Unless, you know, what's changed it now is um, the advent of smartphones and and people having these cameras and being able to post things online straight away. That's what's what's made police brutality in the UK more, um, uh, it's what's brought it into the spotlight. It's what made people aware that, hey, this does happen here as well, you know, we can talk about our own various experience and I will give you, I can give you a personal experience of, again um, of the UK when it comes to stereotyping and 
prejudice and um, just racially profiling people. Example, uh, I was 21 years old. I lived, I'd moved out of London and I'd moved to um, another, a small town in uh, the middle, in the Midlands of, so the middle of England. My fiance or my wife, at the, my wife, who was my fiance at the time, still lived in London. So every Friday I would drive down after work to pick her up and take her and bring her up to stay with me for the weekend. So I'd driven down to where she lives and she lived in, um, in an estate where what you guys would call the projects. Mm-hmm. So she, she lived in uh, our equivalent of the projects and, and um, I'd go and pick her up and I walked up and went into the flat. I wasn't there for more than 10, 15 minutes. We grabbed her bags. We were putting her bags into my car. Mind you, I'm in a, I'm in a suit. I mm-hmm. dressed to the nines because I've come from work. I'm putting her a duffel bag in, in the boot of the car, in the trunk of the car, where she's about mm-hmm. to get into the passenger side. And all we hear is, go, 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 go. <laughs> so we're like, we start looking around and we're like, woo, someone's about to get it. Yeah. Not knowing they were coming for us. So they, they come, they pull me to the side um, and they start, you know, looking into the vehicle and um, asking us questions. And um, we're like, what's going on? Oh, well, you turned up and you you parked the car. You were gone for 10, 15 minutes and you come back downstairs with this woman in a duffel bag. Um, so this, there's a lot of drug activity in this neighborhood. So, you know, we we believe that you could be involved. And I'm like, based on what? You know, because I'm black and I'm putting a bag in a trunk of my car with and I, and I have a woman with me getting into the car you immediately jumped from two innocent people just getting into their car you you bypassed all of that and you went to drug deal or something illicit going on and this is just one of the occasions where you know police had profiled me i've got examples of them yanking my brother out of his vehicle and putting their knees on my cousin's back handcuffing him and putting their their knees on his back completely innocent guys just driving by they just pulled over for no reason knee in his back he's got asthma he's screaming that he can't breathe my brother's screaming that he can't breathe that my cousin can't breathe and he's got asthma and they're just you know, no apology when they realize that these guys are totally legit, above board, and innocent. You're just expected to thank your lucky stars that you are not in the wrong and go about your business and not complain. That is the UK, that is the black experience in the UK. Um, I think if, if the police in the UK were armed, like the US, Mm-hmm. we would definitely have a very similar 
situation of numerous black men murdered without cause. So I got I got a couple couple points. So one is I think it's the overarching thing that you've been saying. Um, for whatever reason, there's been a narrative created around not just black people, but especially black men, um, and how we act, how we behave, um, how we move throughout the world, um, the expectations or lack of expectations <laughs> for us, uh, and that bleeds into the interactions that we have with other people. So just like you were saying, as far as you know, you were picking up, you know, your wife, fiance at the time, and you had you was in pretty much a work club. That doesn't disarm the narrative that's been created. No. And that's the experience for a lot of us to where it's because you get to because it's and I like I don't know if it's the same in the UK, but I know for us. Uh, and it's just stuff that we were taught when we were growing up. It's like you always had to be at your best, or you you can't really do as the majority does. Everything is always going to be hard for you, so you have to be ten times better to get to where you're trying to get. So, like every excuse that you have, you you just can't use excuses to go for it. Like yeah, yeah. And I think um, that always has us to where we feel like we always have to be better and we can't really just be ourselves. We have to be so far greater than that. And it's always the approval of, see, I'm a good black person. <laughs> see, I go see, I pay my bills. See, I, I'm a good citizen. See what I do <laughs> of the city. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, yeah. different people, you know, and it and it's, it's not enough. So, like for me, with what happened with George Floyd and how I took it, I was like, you know what, it's never gonna be enough. It's like no matter what I do, no matter how I educate myself, no matter uh, how I try to better myself, be consistent, be kind, and, and gracious to other people, it could be me. Um, and for me, it was the sense of like, well, why? Why am I trying? <laughs> like, why? Why am I continually trying to show that I'm worthy, that I'm not a bad person? When that doesn't matter. That on a given day, given time, I could be stopped, I could be handcuffed, I could be arrested, I could be detained with somebody knee on my neck or back or both or whatever, you know, or multiple yeah. things. So it's like, well, how do I continue to be motivated and strive for better when it doesn't matter? And it's been, I mean, it's been uh, news reports and, and things of, you know, high profile in the rest. I remember um, not too long, I think it was a couple of days after George Floyd yeah, I you know who Jay Farrell is. He's like a, a comedian. He like on. He used to be on SNL, but he's a, right. he's a black. And they were interviewing him. I think it was on like uh, Good Morning America or something like that. And they're like, "Well, how you you know how are you feeling about everything?" He's like, 
it could have been me. And it was actually like a video. They did the same thing to him. Like, he was walking. I think he just came from a shoot or something like that. And they detained. They had him, uh, like, the, the police officer had, like, a knee in his back, a neck. And he and somebody walking past recognized him. Like, hey, it's Jay. And he's like, that's what they say. Like, he could have been, you know, and they thought he was joking at first. He's like, oh, you just don't like, no, I'm for real. And then they showed the clip. And so that happened like literally days after the same type of yeah. And so it doesn't matter, like you can be on TV. I mean, they've done it to like district attorneys, they've done it to like all all type of people. They pull them over or they go to people's houses. Just unannounced. So it's like it what you think will save you more. Yeah. And that's the most disheartening thing to that. You just always feel like it it could be you at any given moment. And that's yeah. Like, yeah. That's what we try and communicate to people, like in the majority, is that you don't have that yeah. <laughs> like I understand you wanna you wanna try and, you know, try and be, you know, uh be empathetic with me and, and all that, and that's fine. But that feeling like that you don't get. And, and and one thing it was T D Jakes was on TBN and he was talking about his son. His son had a car accident. And his son was like, Man, I'm okay, whatever, like the police is. And he was like, as soon as he said the police was there, he like he got up, he got scared. And he was like, just he was like, just stay on the phone. And he was like, it wasn't even the fact that I was so scared that my son was gonna die from the car accident, I was scared he might die from the police. From the police. And him yeah. just being in the car or whatever and something happening, he was like, and I didn't feel safe till I got there. I, I spoke to the police officer, he was like, he was like, that is the thing that we're trying to communicate to the majority. You don't have that fear like that. You don't have yeah. that fear if my son or my daughter or whoever I'm connected with, if they're in a situation and police involved, that they might not live. And that's the that is that is the experience of being black. And it's not just black in America or black in the UK, it's black in the world. Black all over the world, yeah. <laughs> I mean you you jogged my memory of so many so many things that have happened. And um you know just on what you said, that feeling right there, that's that's everyday trauma. Mm-hmm. For for a black man, that is everyday trauma. You leave you leave your house with the fear that you may not make it back home. It just mm-hmm. takes being in the wrong place at mm-hmm. the wrong time, and you know not only are you worrying about um, the stupid people that are just out there doing dumb stuff that want to rob you or attack you for no reason. You then have the racist people that want to do you harm. And then you have the people that are supposedly supposed to protect you who also may do you harm. So there is no peace in any scenario. But um, it reminded me of the time um, I just graduated um, 
as I said, I'd moved to the Midlands and I had a friend. He actually, he now lives in um, Connecticut. And, um, but he, he would come over to my, to my house and um, his car was being broken into constantly every time he parked it outside my house. And one day we actually saw the kid that broke into the, that smashed the, the, the windows of the car and was trying to steal the radio. So we chased him and he ran into a house and we called the police and explained this. The police came out, we explained the situation and lo and behold, we were the ones that were suddenly um, in trouble with the police. The whole situation turned around and we were accused of threatening behavior. We were accused of intimidation. We were accused of all sorts. And we were like, but we've been reporting that this car is constantly broken into. You do nothing. We've, we've seen this kid. We've chased him. We haven't touched him. We just followed him to where he ran into. And um, yeah, that's, again, that is the black experience. You call the police, but when the police come, you are afraid, for, you know, that you are the one that is going to end up in jail. So mm -hmm. you get to a point where you don't even want to call the police mm -hmm. because I'd rather not deal with them. I'd rather not interact with them because it's safer for me not to do so. And it's funny because this, the, my whole, I think before we, we started this podcast, I'd come into this saying, you know, the whole topic was, does the Black Lives Matter, Matter movement help? Is it really helpful? I came into this not knowing where I sat on that topic. Mm -hmm. But the more, the more I talk about it, the more it, it unearths, um, things that I'd locked away in my memory, mm -hmm. actually, I am, I'm shifting towards, actually, it does help because mm -hmm. it gives us a platform to, to start to vocalize these things that no one else will ever, ever experience. As you say, as a, mm -hmm. as a white person or someone of a different race, you can empathize, mm -hmm. but you will never understand the feeling you will never understand the experience as a as a um, someone of East Indian descent. You can empathize and you feel a fraction of what we go through. As a, someone of Asian descent, descent, you may feel a fraction of what we go through, but you will never be viewed as a threat. You will never be viewed as um, as the enemy just because of the color of your skin. You will never be immediately put into a category of being a criminal or a lowlife or a deadbeat dad or um, everything that exists in every other part of society and every other culture, every other race. The, the worst part, that is immediately what is projected on us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and one thing to add to that, so 
all, throughout all that which you just talked about, the expectation for us is to minimize how we feel about it. So out of all of that, we're not even allowed to be angry about it or to be hurt by it. Because then when we do start to express it with people or people that are maybe from different cultures, races or whatever, then it's minimized. And you're like, well, but you know, and then it's like, but this experience, well, I kind of experienced this, whatever, like this. Then it's minimized and then it makes us feel like, well, no, you're not hearing me. Now you're not even trying to listen to my words. You're not really trying to experience it. You just don't want to feel attacked from what you may or may not be doing. And that's not necessarily our intent either, but if it is a conversation, everybody like, you know, we just need to talk. Not exactly. Conversations need to be had, but it needs to be conversations where listening is the goal. Not, not to explain or not to uh, minimize the other person. And so, like, I've had a few conversations with people over the past couple months uh, along these lines. And the ones that were the best were the people that listened to how, like, if they ain't like, well, how do you feel about it? And my first question, they like, do you want me to be authentic in my response? Like, mm. Do you really want to know how I felt about it? Yeah, yeah, do you really want to know? If, if yes, then I know. If not, then I, I won't give you the real answer. Because <laughs> my real answer is not probably what you want to hear. But uh, I think the other thing, too, and I, I can't remember the podcast, but it was not too long after George Floyd, and it was it's a podcast with like four other black guys. I can't remember the, top, the name of it, but it's good, too. I'll listen to a few of them. They were talking about, um, you know, after uh, uh, Ahmad. Uh, Albert, you know, when he was he was keeping yeah. running, and he was like, he was like, I'm a runner. I go running every morning, but after that, now he's like, as a black man, I have to, I can't put on a hoodie, or I can't put on like all black. Maybe that's gonna be perceived as something. Now I gotta wear something that's a little more, you know, neutral. He's like, and then you know, as I'm running. Even though I'm having a bad day, I can't express that on my face. So as I'm passing people, I gotta smile and warm up my face because mm. I don't want to And he's like, it's all these things I had to think about just going to run. And he's like, and these are checklist things I had to do every day because I don't want to come across different or come across in a threatening way. And so like even our bad days, we still have to minimize that too because we can't really look yeah. <laughs> like we won't, like we feel all the time because that might be threatening to people. Uh, and it's yeah. like all the code switching that we do in the day. It's like, you know, you ha- we have our professional voice and we have our voice we have when we hang with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then we know how to. You know, announcing our words and speak clearly and whatever. How you doing? And talking our work. So, yeah, take the bass out. <laughs> <laughs> so you do that. And then you smile. And, ah, you do all that. 
this all these different things you just at the end of the day you just exhausted because you know not on the cold switch and then you got microaggressions that people placed upon you and like oh well, mm-hmm. and like oh especially like and I don't know if you've gotten this but I'm pretty sure you probably have gotten it before it's like you know uh if you dress real nice or you dress real professional as a black man it's like oh would you just real nice for you know for a black man like you just real professional real <laughs> oh man so so whilst we're, whilst we're on that topic whilst we are on that topic so um at, at um i when i go to so when i normally i go to a client site in a three-piece suit with a pocket mm-hmm. square mm-hmm. and um it's kind of it's just how i am i i like to dress nicely mm-hmm. um but definitely it throws people mm-hmm. now i don't no one has no one has openly said to me those exact words you dress mm-hmm. nice for a black guy Mm-hmm. Does it go through people's heads? I'm yeah. sure it does. <laughs> yeah. Now, take it back to 2009. Just before I I dropped my uh my album, I did a photo shoot, mm-hmm. and one of the outfits I was so I got changed into this gray suit with a red tie, a pocket square. Mm-hmm. And the photographer said to me, do you mind if I use some of these for other professional work? So I was like, nah, that's cool. I don't mind. Um, he gave me a discount for the, for the session because mm-hmm. I, I, I licensed the photos to him. I get a phone call about two months later from the photographer and says, and he says, um, just to let you know, one of the newspapers in the UK has bought um, a license to use your photo, one of those photographs. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, cool. I was like, man, I was getting excited, ready to tell everyone about my moment, my 15 minutes of fame. Uh, uh-huh. Until I see the article. Mm-hmm. And the article was the the smarter you dress, the whiter you look. Mm-hmm. And they and they used my picture. Mm-hmm. And basically, I think um, what they were saying in the in the article was that they got people to look at pictures of me in this suit and pictures of a white guy dressed in regular clothing. Mm-hmm. And basically, they did a poll, and people perceived me more white based on how I was dressed. Mm-hmm. That felt like a kick in the teeth mm-hmm. because I felt I was then being used to reinforce a negative stereotype mm-hmm. that. Um, only white people dress good. So for him to be nicely dressed, it, it you know it's our eyes playing tricks on us. He's not really black. He's he's just a white guy. 
it 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 felt like a kick in the teeth. And but that is constantly what we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Oh, he owns a nice car. He he must be into drugs. Or he must be into something illegal. He lives in a nice house. I don't know how he got that money. Mm-hmm. He must he must be doing something. And you know, even as you say, when we work hard and we build professional careers, mm-hmm. not only are we in the minority, i.e., if you're not the only black guy in your department, mm-hmm. there's no more than maybe three of you. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, oh man, you're just, you're just you're just making these things pop up. So. <laughs> I worked for a major, I, I, I had a client that was a major bank and um, the guy that hired me, a good friend of mine, uh, brought me into his team um, as one of the consultants. So his team was made up of myself uh, and Indian guy and two other black guys. Mm-hmm. And then um, basically his management pulled him to the side and said, are you trying to create an all black team? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they said this from a, it wasn't like a jokey thing or anything like that. And he was like, uh, and if I was one, what's the issue? Because that's an all-white team. That's an all-white team. That's an all-white team. You don't go over there and ask them, are you trying to build an all-white team? Why have you suddenly taken issue with the fact that I've built a team? You're disregarding these guys' professional experience and their skill sets. You are just focused on the color of their skin and you've taken issue with the fact that none of them are white. Needless to say, that friend of mine was then marginalized and pushed to the side in this organization um, to to, to the point where the team was taken away from him and he was given a promotion or moved into another role, basically, and then basically pushed out of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm just going to say it. So, for us, even when we do choose to speak up about certain things, about microaggressions, about systemic racism we paid a price for it it's not without consequence it's not without um you know i wish we could protest and and that's the end of it the fact is if you protest and you are seen in a protest best believe that your employer is going to have something to say best believe that um anyone that that 
that has some kind of, I guess, hold over you is going to have something to say. And you may pay a significant price for your protesting or for you voicing your opinion. But we live in a so we live in a so-called equal society. Yeah. So, so okay, I got to go. All right. So, uh, one, I'm gonna go back to what you were talking about as far as uh, like a counterpoint to what I was saying as far as you advancing, you get the color nice color, like the question of you know how did you get that, how did you get that, all that kind of stuff. So. The flip side to that is that we are also taught to want that too. Because if you've been marginalized for so long, you want something to give you some kind of validation and approval. Mm. So that can be the other trap of achievement as a black person, especially as a black man, because then it goes into what you own. And because you own certain things or you've achieved a certain status, then that elevates you. And then that starts to separate you from other people, or other people that look like you too. And mm. that can happen because, like, well, you know, I made it out and I got this, I got my car, I got a nice house, we stayed in a nice gated community or whatever, like that. You know, I don't really associate with y'all people like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so the end point has to be, we start to be like the people that have marginalized us. Then we start to marginalize <laughs> And so that also happens. And so it's like, it's like we have to be real careful in our advancement and not get lost in it. Because if we get lost, we will start to perpetuate the very things that people did to us, to other people. And just like our road was hard, we'll make the road hard for other people that's trying. They, you know, it's people, especially if you get to a certain point where either you have your own business or you've achieved a certain level of success, it's people that's looking at you. They're inspired by that and they want to follow your footsteps. But because we've had to go through so much stuff and we internalize it, it's it, it hardened us to a degree. Now we want to shut the door on everybody else that we could bring along with us or to show them the way to, uh, to get to where we got to and make it a little easier and smoother. So we're like, nah, I had a struggle. No, you got a struggle. Nah, I got mine. You got to get to it. Nah. So we do the same thing. So like, we got to be careful about that. Uh, with the Black Lives Matter, you saying as far as you know, kind of like how your stance that we've been talking, you've been trying, you've been really figuring out where you stand on it. And I think one of the things that Black Lives Matter it does for us is it gives us a, a voice uh, and it gives us a validation that hey, somebody else sees our struggle and wants to put the narrative out there. And like I'm big on you know, books and, and written word and all that. And whoever controls the narrative controls how things happen, the outcome. Mm. And so that's why I like, especially in the U.S., there's a lot of, not just celebrities, but people of influence, you know, of color that are now controlling the narrative. One thing that I like about LeBron and a lot of people you know, they have all kinds of different things they, they don't like about him 
one thing I do like about him is that he controls his narrative fully. If it's going to be a story about him, it's going to be a story that his company they put out. So nobody can tell his story but the PP officers. <laughs> I think that's, that's how we start to restate our narrative. We have to be one to tell the story because Okay, yeah, I'm gonna go. <laughs> so, like, just like the movie, like the movie Blindside. I, I mean, in content, it's not necessarily anything wrong with the movie. It's the narrative that it perpetuates. It's, it's always like black people or black men always need a white savior to save. And it's like, man, why is the time in a movie it gotta be a white person saving a black kid? Like, oh, come on, then. oh, let me adopt a black kid. Like, oh, let me. And it's like, I would like that narrative to change. Uh, and not saying there's nothing wrong with it because it is, it is children. You know, that need to be adopted or whatever like that. If they can't find a loving, warm home, that's good. But I just hate the narrative that we always be safe. Yeah. We need to be saved from ourselves. We need to be saved from this, saved and all. And, and at risk is another one. I, I hate at risk because at risk means black people. <laughs> that's what you were saying. At risk. Because in the mental health field, that's what all grant dollars is all nonprofit by at risk and all that kind of stuff is really just money for black, you know, black male children. Mm, yeah, it's the same here. <laughs> yeah, same in the UK. Yeah, that they don't really do much with. Uh, and, and it's like, man, man. So then that, you internalize it. So if you're already, you know, conditioned to think that you're at risk, and then because you're black, you're less than, you're not in the majority, you're in the minority, you have all these labels that you internalize, and then the system supports those labels. So it's like, well, why do I need to go to school? They just think I'm going to drop out anyway, and they ain't trying to. And everything gets rigged and the state test and testing and all that kind of stuff by so and so it's like it's a list of things that are real but you can't allow them to hinder you Because if if we if we thought about every system that's built against us, we wouldn't get out the bed Like it's literally yeah. for every environment that we in. And if we and if we didn't try to go forward of of uh, rise above them, then we wouldn't get anything accomplished because it is. And I guess that's the other thing is well, for those of us who have navigated through our existence, then how do we empower or reach back and get the people that are like just discouraged? And they might not have, you know, the opportunities and things that we've had. How do we reach them before they give up? Because that's the population that needs to get encouraged right now. Because it's a whole generation of not just black, you know, young black men, but just young black people 
that are about to give up. <laughs> so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take take us to I'm just gonna, I guess I'm gonna make a statement for both of us that will say okay. we agree that the Black Lives Matter movement is a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's helpful. Mm-hmm. It's not the solution. Right. Um, because, and I think T.D. Jake said it in that interview that you shared with me uh, mm-hmm. earlier this week, um, the... Uh, or, or the sorry, not TD Jakes. It wasn't TD Jakes that said it. It was the lady, the the, the host of the show, oh, and they okay. said they seen it. Where they said the it's not the oppressed that need to do something about the situation. It's the oppressor that needs mm-hmm. to do something about the situation. Mm-hmm. And um, the job of the Black Lives Matter movement is to highlight the injustice. It's to make sure that people never forget that this injustice is still going on. Because mm-hmm. what we tend to have in the UK, and, and it's going to be the same in the US and around the world, we have organizations that when these things happen, when this whole kicked off, all these organizations came out and said, hey, we've got these programs for black people. Hey, we support black people. Hey, we do this. And it was all publicity it was personally i did not see the real spirit behind the well i saw the real spirit behind it the real spirit behind it was capitalism it was like we still want your income we still want your consumer dollars or consumer pounds so don't kick us to the curb because we support you black people Mm-hmm. That's that was the spirit of those things, and you can see it now because now that time is you know time has passed, those messages are disappearing. People are returning back to business as usual. The masses of black faces that were thrown onto it's not again very very different in the US because that was something that whenever we're in the States we get so excited because just on your commercials Mm -hmm. you have so much of a black presence on on your television screens Mm -hmm. we don't on the UK so when these things happen suddenly there are loads of black people to suddenly put on television then it slowly starts to die off again and you 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 only see the black people after 11 o'clock at you know 11 p.m when everybody else is sleeping that's when the black shows get aired so things are slowly returning back to that norm something that i've always taken away and there's there's a so firstly i want to talk about what we can do as a community Mm -hmm. but then being men of faith, I still want us to look at it from a Christian perspective perspective and say, well, actually, as Christians, how should we respond to the Black Lives Matter movement? How should we respond to the injustice? How should we respond to 
the a movement for change. Um, something that we've discussed numerous times, you've mentioned the mastermind groups. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have our project that we're working on, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, our global mastermind group and mm -hmm. the creation of, and pushing people together to create a global black economy. One mm -hmm. of the things that we've both been very vocal about is that, unfortunately, you will not see change as long as we are dependent on their systems. And I hate to use that term, us and, us and them, but I'm using it to make that distinction that the oppressive system that exists, that, that is built on systemic racism, is what we are currently leaning on and we are bound to. And the only time we will start to see change is when we start as a community of people who are oppressed, we start to build our own economy that isn't dependent on that one that holds us prisoner. We have people who have been fortunate enough to create successful companies, who have who've been successful enough to um, break through this, the glass ceiling. Now, these are the people that should be going out there and, as you say, reaching back to help the generation that's coming, coming after them. They should be the ones going out there to create the um, the, the venture capital, um, the venture capital organizations, they need to be the ones that are out there being the angel investors for organizations that need that support. But yeah. it's not something we do. It's not something we do very well at all. Okay, so, I got I got I got I got a point. Go, go, I'll let you go, I'll let you go. All right, so to add on what you're saying, you can't change the system within the system. Mm. So, in order for us to have the change that we want, we can't operate in the system that we've been used to operate. So, just like for me, you know, I, I had, I've had different phases of my career. I've been a therapist, I've been a case manager, I worked with kids, you know, I've done all that, I've been tired, I've taught all that. Kind of Each one of those has been a system. But in order for me to really start to change in those systems, I have to remove myself from it. Because I can't change it while I'm in it. I have to get out of it to then change it. So for me, it's a lot of issues in mental health that I can't change if I'm in the system. I have to be outside of it to affect the change. Because in the system, my voice cannot really be heard. But if I'm outside of the system, and if I know how the system operates, I can then partner with the people that are still within that to strengthen it. So now I can see it from a broader perspective. But we can't change it. You know, just like you when you're in the, in the banking, you know, the system in that environment. It's a lot of things you need to change, but you can change it in that system. In order for you to make the changes, you have to inform yourself of what you saw that wasn't right 
when you step outside of it, now you know people involved in that area that you say, like, hey, can we meet? You know, I'm thinking about this project. Can we collaborate? I'm thinking about doing this. This might be a way to kind of, you know, make it more diverse. So now you can go in and start to take change. And just the same thing. It's just like, uh, it's not, and like you were saying, it's not necessarily that it's Save that. I'm gonna save that because we we we've got we've got a podcast about coming about that one. But that 
the desire for attention mm-hmm. is part of the problem in us in our communities mm-hmm. part of the pro- part of the reason why we are not where we should be is because everybody wants the glory and sometimes you you know well it's quite it popped up on my verse of the day actually um it it says it said let the greatest amongst you um be the servants basically and uh, that was jesus talking to to talking to his disciples and until we take until we get that mentality that leadership is not about dictating and telling people what to do and taking the glory it's about serving others play in the background and strategizing so that everyone else gets the glory whilst you sit behind and still orchestrate what needs to happen that's true leadership when we get that when we start to grasp that message then we will start to see change happening in certain areas and um you know that drive as as a community to create that global economy we've done it we we we've created economies before but we've then sold out and allowed those economies to be taken over and again the the normal things that happen happen we are ostracized from our own companies we are marginalized within the board of leadership within our companies or organizations to the point where we have a we no longer have a voice and then that organization is consumed by a larger organization and suddenly it's back we're back in that same system that's how the world has been designed that's the oppressor's world and this time we just need to figure we need to learn how to build our economy and keep our economy you know there's a thing in the UK where we're talking about black pound day um again it was a it was a rapper by the name of swiss um or former rapper i don't i don't know if swiss still raps but um he started this movement uh black pound day and it's basically you go out there and specific days of the month and you just patronize these black companies support these black companies use uh, uh, use their services buy their products it starts with simple movements like that to make a change and to to really start to drive home that message that this is not this is an economic problem as well until we start to have an economic voice the our other voice our voice for injust for for equality and justice will never be heard because we hold no value apart from being workers when we start to drive and as you say have that equity mm-hmm. then 
suddenly people take notice of our voice because we're not we're not their subordinates we have made ourselves their equal in in that respect so they have to respect our voice um the other thing i want to dig into is something that td td you know td jake's pointed out in that interview again yeah. and i'm bringing it back to the to um the christian perspective there are there are bodies within christian communities that say they can't they can't get behind the black lives matter movement because of its support for the rights of black trans transgender people or um black gay people or black black queer people whatever it may be because they are fighting for equality for those people as well suddenly the ultra conservative christian community does not believe that they can get behind black lives matter to me that is a cop out that is um nothing but an excuse that people want to hide behind because i guarantee that if jesus was here today he may not agree with the lifestyles of certain people but jesus would fight for their justice he would fight for equality for them he would commune with them he would he would break bread with them why because that is what he did in his time that he's is how he lived he wasn't he wasn't a lover of the um so called upright and those the the the, reli- the religious the highly religious folk the pharisees and the sadducees and the people that believed that by keeping the letter of the law they they were put, you know they were better than everyone else whereas you know really and truly their hearts were were deceitfully wicked they were they 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 were corrupt to the core well how are we how are those ultra conservative christians any better than those um pharisees because you were setting a standard and you were taking on the law yourself you were saying that according to the law according to god's law because these people are this way i can't get behind them i cannot fight for their justice i cannot fight for their equality i cannot fight for to stop them being victimized that goes against everything that we stand that Christ stood for and it goes against everything that we should stand for as Christians the bible says love your neighbor as you love yourself so if my neighbor is a transgender black person transgender white person transgender indian person if i see injustice towards that individual i will fight to help that individual because that is what i am called to do as a christian 
That is what I'm, I'm called to love every single person, irrespective of their um, sexual preference, their orientation, their uh, color, their creed, whatever it may be. The fact is God created that person and God loves that person. So who am I to then say that because I, because I am living out the law, I will, I will not support or help that person's cause. To me, it's, it, you know, I found that really disturbing that as Christians, we hide behind that thing and we allow, we allow those lame excuses to perpetuate this problem of social injustice, racial injustice, and everything that comes with it. So, like, to, to add to your point, I think the issue with people, uh, or issue just in terms of judgment, is we take God, we take God's place, and we want to be God in people's life, and not allow God to be God, and we just be the people of God. Because if I'm so quick to point out everybody else's flaws, then clearly I'm, I must have some kind of other, I've transcended the earth. <laughs> if, I, if I just do no wrong, and I'm hurt, yeah. my own fault. And I think we become so blinded to things that we do that it's easier for us to point out, this person got this, they doing this, I don't like this, I don't like this, all that kind of stuff. Well, how are you building yourself? And then, what is God working with you on? Because if you got all this time to focus on all what everybody else is doing, which you don't like about everybody else, then you really not spend a lot of time working on that. Uh, each one of us have enough I don't want to say just flaws, but we have enough pieces, enough vices, enough whatever, whatever pieces. And we need God, not just take you, but direction, everything else. So, like, you know, that's what you kind of pull away from, but that's why I'm trying to take Clearly, your focus is not really out. And what you have going on, you should keep working. That's the thing you want to like. It should just be enough that Black Lives Matter. And just like you were saying, like, what would be? Well, they will matter. Black Lives Matter. Because he pretty much always came out of the street the most time. The people that needed him the most. That's what he did. And he got ostracized for doing that. Because like, well, how dare you do this? You heal people on the staff and do all this kind of stuff. This is not how we do it in traditional. He went against all of it. And so it's like, at this point in time, we can't do things in a traditional way to make sense. It's not that we have to be uh, water down, you know, God and the word. You know, the word is the word, the word is the word. So it's not saying like we're trying to form 
to the world kind of like what we were talking about last, last but also whatever issues you have with people, God is the one that can deal with that. Let God do that. What you do is keep yourself <laughs> and if you are your best self, then you will be best for other people around you too. So then you'll know how to work with people. And then you'll know how to draw people in and connect them to God and allow him to do what he's going to do. But if you judge him off the, off the top, then people are not going to be drawn to the God that you say you serve. Because yeah. if you serve God, you know, just like they, they used to say, you know, you should, you know, show some sign. Like, it should be something about you that makes you say, like, man, it's something, something about him. I, I just, it's something about him that makes me want to be, you know, around or just something about him spiritually that draws and that's what you want. You want people to be drawn by the God in you. Once they get drawn in, all you supposed to do is just introduce them to the God in you and let God do the rest. And, yeah. and stop trying to stop trying to just stop trying to uh, put yourself in the position of giving people salvation. Like, you can't say hey, no God. You ain't God. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it. So I'm gonna say this. We have clearly, uh, and I'm trying to. I guess I'm trying to trying to um, declare our position on this and our view on this. Definitely believe that the Black Lives Matter movement is helpful. It's important, it's helpful. Um, there are things that we shouldn't take it as the be all and end all in this situation. We need white people to stand up and do something we need black people to stand up and do something. We need all people to stand up and do something. And I'm not trying to, I hear all these people that scream out, all, all lives matter. Hey, if we're saying that the word of God says that love your neighbor as you love yourself, we are declaring that God, even as Christians and as people, we believe that all lives matter. But what Black Lives Matter movement is focusing on is that need right now. In this moment, in this time, we are declaring that there is a problem that society says that all lives matter, but their actions show that they believe that Black lives don't matter. So the Black Lives Matter movement is a reminder that Black lives matter just as much as all the other lives. No one is saying that all other lives don't matter. We're saying that right now there is a problem and this is to address that problem. The other statement is that we as a community need to do, when we say we need to do our part, stop being 
stop trying to find yourself in a system that doesn't want you. Sometimes to truly make an effect change, as you said, take yourself out of that. You have to take yourself out of that system so that change can happen. We have to take ourselves out of the oppressive economic system. We have to take ourselves out of the, the, any oppressive system that has been designed to keep us held, you know, held down. So what can we do to take ourselves out of that system and to give ourselves back some of the freedom that we need? I'm not talking about breaking the law or doing anything of that sort, but make a change that allows you to break out of the oppression and to do something different. And then finally, as a Christian community, let's get real with ourselves and stop hiding behind um, these basic, basic things. You know, the Bible says that when I was a child, I fought like a child. So put away childish things, as the Bible says, and come, come correct. Look at this free with with an adult mind, and you know, stop hiding behind those basic things of the law and trying to use a legalistic mindset to downplay what is what is obviously a need. You know, because what that says is that actually I don't want to change this systemic system because I benefit from it and it helps me and I get value from these other people being oppressed and held down. That is what that that is the message that your your stance is is giving to other people. Um now that may not be where how you 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 view yourself or position yourself but when you take the stance that you don't want to get behind this because of a legalistic point, um, that is how it comes across. So as Christians, let's put away childish things and let's do, do what we believe Jesus would have done. And from for me, reading the word of God, it is very, very apparent how Jesus would have reacted in this situation. So that's all I'm really good. That's all I want to say on the, on 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 this. Uh, Terrence, do you have anything else you want to add? <laughs> I, I do. I had, I had a, just a couple quick points just to, to close out. One, um, I, I had wrote it down a while back. I'm gonna say so. If you don't know who you are, people will tell you who you are. So if not only do black lives matter, your black life matter. You matter as a person. And if you don't think that you matter to your own self, it's harder for then you to give that to somebody else. So in the midst of us, you know, fighting for injustice and all that kind of stuff, we still have to have a sense of we matter to ourselves first in order to be good to anybody else. Because if we're already exhausted or broken or just 
same realm from everything like that. We will lose the fight quickly because we don't have the resources we need. So we have to, you know, start to heal ourselves and unpack the things because what you don't want to do, you know, just like in, in boxing, usually the angriest boxer loses all the time because you can train anger, but when you get into the fight, you got to be controlled and you got to be aware of what's going on around you. So if you're going into this with all your anger and everything else, then you, it's easier to lose. And so it's like, not only we don't want to lose each other in the injustice, but we don't want to lose each other in the progress of going forward either. And sometimes we can burn ourselves out in the process of going forward because we're taking all our emotions into it without unpacking and really trying to deal with it as we you know, try and heal. But the other thing was don't just seek to have a conversation. Have a conversation to construct a plan. There's so many conversations and, and uh, round tables and, and town halls and, and all this kind of talk. Okay, we didn't talk all day. Long. We talked all day. social media and TV and everybody did talks and YouTube videos and all this kind of So, what's the plan? <laughs> when are we going to get to the plan? Try to know the plan. Uh, and that's where we are now. The conversation is good, but if the conversation don't lead to a plan, then I won't say the conversation is useless, but they're not as effective. So, as we have these conversations, let's move conversations into actual action or plans of Oh, man. Yeah. That's what I mean. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if uh, if you want to get involved with the Black Lives Matter movement, you can go to their website www.blacklivesmatter.com. Um, there are local chapters across the world. Um, you can actively participate, support them. Uh, donate, whatever it is that you want to do to help them, there is a way to um, to help. And even if you don't want to be part of the Black Lives Matter movement, as uh, Terrence has said, think about how you, in your own capacity, can do something. How can you, um, how can you show your support for, for the people who are being oppressed? And remember, it's not just... Um, it's not just black people that are oppressed. There are Indian people that are oppressed. There are um, Asian people, wherever. Across the world, there is someone that's being oppressed. We are talking about black lives right now because of the number of um, deaths. And uh, I, I don't even want to call them deaths. They are murders that we have seen. And because these things are, are now being recorded and 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 played on social media and we are actually seeing what is going on uh, but if there are so many different causes that could use your support 
So think about how you individually may want to support. Um, as we've also said, Terrence and I are driving a mastermind group for people that want to come together. So we are looking for uh, professionals from all walks of life, um, business owners, CEOs, um, it doesn't matter what size your business is. If you are interested in being part of our, uh, a mastermind group that is focused on growing the black economy and connecting people, creating internship programs for, for our college students and those who need those that exposure, um, creating uh, apprenticeship, apprenticeship programs for those who may not be very good at the formal educational route but have are great when it comes to hands-on experience everyone learns in a different way so we shouldn't down we shouldn't count someone out because they don't have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or whatever we need to meet people where they are and we need to support them in at, at the level that they're at because there are some people who's who thrive from hands-on experience. So we need apprenticeship programs to help develop these people. That's another angle that our mastermind group is looking at. We're looking at um, opportunities for us to invest in each other's businesses and ideas and dreams and to drive forward um, a black global economy. So if you are interested in that, uh, you can connect with us. Email me at david at dailyperspective.co.uk. Um, Terrence will give you his email. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, T Johnson at iPodrick.cc. That's fine. Okay, so you can connect with us. We can um, talk to you about what we're planning with this mastermind group. Um, also, check out what iProgress does. If you are someone that is struggling with understanding your purpose, your direction, and what you want to do with, what you were created to do with your life, get in touch with iProgress. They have programs that can help you. Um, as they say, they are life excavators. They will help you dig through and find that purpose that is hidden within you. Um, definitely connect with me on www. I always leave that one W for some reason. But www.dailyperspective.co.uk. Catch me on Instagram at dydaily. Um, catch me on Twitter at dydaily. Um, and as usual, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Uh, remember that we are not perfect beings. We are not subject to the law because Christ came and fulfilled the law. So we are living under grace. What God, what Christ gave to us on, with his death on the cross was grace and grace equals freedom. So live in that freedom, live in that grace, be the best version of yourself that you can. We love you. Christ loves you. We'll catch you on the next episode.